Welcome to She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie Sutton, a 19-year-old from the Bay Area studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. She Persisted is the teen mental health podcast made for teenagers by a teen. In each episode, I'll bring you authentic, accessible, and relatable conversations about every aspect of mental wellness. You can expect evidence-based teen-approved resources, coping skills, including lots of DBT, insights, and education in each piece of content you consume. She Persisted offers you a safe space to feel validated and understood in your struggle while encouraging you to take ownership of your journey and build your life worth living. So let's dive in. This week on She Persisted. You are your greatest investment and people don't realize that. They spend so much time pouring into others. They spend so many hours of their life going to school and getting these degrees, which it is investing in yourself, but our health and wellness comes before anything else. Hello, hello, and welcome back to She Persisted. We took a mini break to catch up on everything that's going on in the She Persisted world with social and posting and getting back into TikTok. But I'm very excited for today's episode because it is one of our most highly requested topics. You guys always ask for episodes about body image, disordered eating, eating disorder treatment, and that general world of mental health because so many teens struggle with body image and there are so many things floating around in the social media space and the internet and we talk a lot about this in this episode. And so this conversation is one that I've been looking forward to for a really long time. Erin has been a dream guest for years and I pitched her very early on in the podcast because she's very unique in that her mental health journey also started as a teen. She's still working in the health and wellness balanced eating space as an adult, but as you'll hear, her story goes way back to when she was a teen and can relate to a lot of what you guys are probably going through in this moment. And so I'm so glad to have the founder of Raw Beauty Talks and Raw Beauty Co., Erin Trelawar, on the podcast today. She has a podcast, an incredible Instagram page. She is a coach. She also is the founder of Raw Beauty Talks Society and Free to Be Talks two different ways that she works to support teens and youth that are struggling with either disordered eating or media literacy and everything that goes along again with societal conditioning and balanced eating. So we really dive into all of that in this conversation, but it's just an incredible, vulnerable, authentic conversation about eating disorder treatment, about self-love and body image and steps you can take to improve your relationship with your food and your body and movement and all of these things, as well as the way that society kind of ties into that conversation, how we're consuming social media, what messages exist on these different platforms and how that impacted Aaron's own journey. So I'm just so lucky to have Aaron on the podcast today. I know you guys are going to adore this conversation because I did as we did this interview. And if you guys enjoy this conversation, please share on social media, leave a review, all of the things. And with that, let's dive in. I'm so glad we got to do this, and I'm really excited for this conversation. Well, thank you again for having me on. And it's so interesting that you say that people are like, she has such an incredible story, because really, the more I talk about my story, the more I realize it's not that incredible. It's actually very normal, and it's something that so many people have gone through or known somebody that has gone through it, and so I wish it was more incredible than it actually is, but it actually is very common. Yeah. 100%. It's definitely, especially the more that people are vulnerable about what they're experiencing, it feels like the numbers are rising. Of course, mental health and mental illness rates are going up, but also people are talking about it more. They're being more accepting of what they're experiencing. And I think 
many teens, especially girls, have struggled with self-image and body image and self-esteem and the things that go with that, whether it's eating or exercise. And so it's something that can be very universal and many people struggle with at some point. So I'm super excited to hear your perspective and advice throughout this convo. Well, that's what I'm here for. I mean, when my quote-unquote adventure journey started, I was in my teens. I was about 15 years old and I didn't I didn't know this at the time but I was definitely a bit anxious mm-hmm. not like an anxious attachment style or difficulty leaving my parents or anything like that but more of the perfectionist nature like mm-hmm. have to do well in everything that I'm doing putting a lot of pressure on myself really worried about what other people think wanting to perform and and be a high performer. Now, what's interesting is that when you are that individual in high school, you're applauded for it. You get straight A's. Everyone's like, wow, you're you're doing amazing. You are checking all of the boxes. Mm -hmm. And so that feeds into that need to please and the perfectionism. Yeah. At some point along the line, the anxiety mixed up with probably hormonal changes, going through puberty, and then these really powerful messages that we receive from the media around what beauty is and what beauty standards are for women. Yeah. They all mixed together and (laughs) created a really intense eating disorder. I was diagnosed around age 16 with anorexia, and it was something that really took over my life very quickly. I was doing a lot of dance and spending a lot of time in front of the mirror, of course. I was always very long and lean when I was mm-hmm. in high school. Like I have the same body type that I have right now. But there, I remember specifically zooming in on my hips and we do this so much as women. Like we find one area of our body where we're like, oh, it could just be a little bit better. Most women, it's the stomach. I just zoomed in and I was like, if I could just have slightly smaller hips, I, you know, I'd be closer to that size that the models are. And I remember watching Victoria's Secret fashion shows. I did crunches while I was watching them. I knew what all those girls' measurements were. I watched the videos where they would talk about what they ate and what they didn't eat. And I just replicated it. Those girls to me were everything. I mean, they had popularity, they had money, they were admired, they were celebrated, they were gorgeous. And so very quickly in following the advice of other people, what began as being healthier or what many people would perceive as being healthier, spiraled into nonstop calorie counting, total obsession around food and what my body looked like. I went from being a straight A student to having to drop some courses because I couldn't focus anymore. I was cold all the time. I was growing hair on all parts of my body because everything in your body is thrown off at this point. Yeah. I was 5'11 and 89 pounds within six months. So it was really, really disastrous. And I ended up being admitted into a hospital program in BC, BC Women and Children's Hospital, where I spent three months rehabilitating, getting my weight back up to a more stable place. And it was when I started first started to really understand the impact that the beauty industry has on us. Yeah. 
I have two follow-up questions that I want to ask. One is about when you started having those somewhat positive intentions to be healthier or make a shift, which I think everyone has experienced at some point, and you describe it very quickly accelerating into something that was very overwhelming and had larger consequences. As you look back, knowing what you know now with your journey, having gone through recovery, now working with other women, are there different ways you wish you would have approached that or a mindset shift or a skill or asking for help at some point to save some of that that struggle that so many teens, unfortunately, are exposed to? That is such a brilliant question, and nobody has ever asked me that. Really? And I have been on a lot of podcasts, and nobody's ever gone back to that specific moment when I started to diet and what would I have done differently? I think that so many women are confused about what to do. They're like, the dieting isn't working. And maybe they don't have a full-blown eating disorder, but they're like, I diet and then I find myself binge eating or overeating. I'm I'm not able to stick to it for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. but I don't know what else to do. I wish back then intuitive eating had been talked about more. I wish that the mindfulness components of wellness were talked about more, that meditation was talked about, that there were the images that we see in media now, which portray all different types of bodies. That wasn't available at that time. I don't think with the options that were available back in, back when I was going through this, that there were very many alternatives. Nobody yeah. was talking about self-love. Nobody was mm-hmm. talking about body positivity. Nobody was talking about the threat of eating disorders or anxiety and what that was because my eating disorder was absolutely a symptom of the underlying anxiety that I was yeah. feeling and experiencing. So what's so cool when you ask that is like i wish that so many of the things that have that we have now were available then and i've been working so hard to create a world where that is a reality and so many other women have been Mm -hmm. as well like women like you and women like jenna kuchar and sarah nicole landry and i mean i even just saw an interview the other day that victoria brown did who's i know exactly what you're talking about yeah and she interviewed when you mentioned the victoria's secret models i was like i just watched that clip so even (laughs) that's so powerful having the angels come out and say the one the one girl said i stood in front of my billboard I would stand there for like hours and nobody would recognize me because she looked so entirely different with all of the makeup and the editing and the hair extensions and everything. So this type of vulnerable, honest, authentic conversation that we have and this new definition of what health and wellness is that is coming and rising to the surface now, it is... It's everything that I would have hoped for then. Yeah. And yet still women are struggling. Like we still have a ways to go. But there is more option available now. I completely agree. The other question I had for you about your early on story is about the process of going to treatment. Because I've seen Mm -hmm. firsthand so many times how terrifying that is. For many girls or boys or individuals who are entering treatment, going to eating disorder treatment a lot of times is your worst nightmare. I have been in many programs and people struggle with so many different things, whether they're like focusing on family relationships or self-love or they're super depressed or whatever it is. 
the most fear and resistance that I've ever observed with regard to treatment is individuals that are struggling with an eating disorder. There's so much fear. There's so much avoidance. It really does feel like a worst nightmare come to life and in, in entering that that program or that support system, whatever you want to call it. And so I was wondering what your advice and experience was there, having gone through treatment, having it been very helpful, but probably still being really scared to take that step for teens or young adults or whatever age we're listening that are considering eating disorder treatment, but are very scared. What is your advice there? I mean, it was terrifying. I cried. I was pissed that I had to go. The only reason I went was because my dad broke down for the first time since I'd started struggling and was like basically begging me to go. And I agreed to go for one week. That was all. Even that tone in my voice that you hear right now is how I spoke about it. Like I will go for one week, but Mm -hmm. I'm not the one who has the problem here. And this is a really tricky thing about eating disorders is that because our culture is so deeply steeped in diet culture and so many people are dieting or cutting out carbs or I'm not eating this this week, you feel like you're just doing what everybody else is doing. And so for me, I thought my sister who is in an even thinner body than I am naturally, there was so much comparison with her. And like, well, Sarah forgets to eat her lunch sometimes at school. So how come I'm having to go into a clinic right now just because yeah. I choose not to. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like for a long time it was she's thinner than me until I was thinner than her. But Sarah wasn't thinking about food all the time. She wasn't counting her calories. She was just eating intuitively and sometimes she'd want to go play soccer. Like, But I couldn't see that from my perspective. And mm-hmm. eating disorder is so cunning. It's like the ego. It can – it's smart. It can shape, shift – different stories and make you feel like you're in choice when really you're no longer in choice. Mm -hmm. So I knew when I went in that I had a problem at that point. I knew that I needed help, but it was like there were two voices in my head. There was one that was like, I need help. And then the louder one was like, you don't want to go in there. They're going to make you eat things. You're fine. You know, I don't even think it wasn't a fear of getting bigger, it just felt like my whole body was in resistance to putting food into me. And there was this constant narrative of, don't eat that now. You should wait until blah, blah, blah's birthday party. And then you can have the cake there. But then I would get to the birthday party and it would be like, well, don't have the cake because that's got this many calories in it and just have that. And then tomorrow when mom's watching, you can have more food here. And oh, it's exhausting and it takes up so much space. Now, what's interesting is I went into the hospital, cried my face off for like three days straight. I don't know if anyone goes into the hospital without crying their face off for three days straight. Such a universal experience. It's a really universal experience. Nobody wants to be there. Nobody is like, this is the path. Nobody's like, this is what I imagined for myself Mm -hmm. at all. It's a rock bottom moment. I was amazed at how quickly that loud eating disorder voice softened and just shut up when somebody else took the reins and I had no control anymore of what I was eating. When you go in, the program that I was in, at least there was a stepladder approach. So step one, you don't get to pick what you're eating. It is like you're having a white bun with butter. You're having the carton of milk. You're having some chicken on the side. You've got 
all your food groups. I mean, so many of my fear foods on that very first plate that I had to eat. And so you have no choice. And the beauty of that system is that at first the eating disorder fights back and it's terrifying and you're crying and you're resisting, but then it, it's, it's gone. That voice for me, at least that was my experience. Mm-hmm. I had never, I had tried to purge, but I just couldn't for whatever reason. And I'm so glad. I feel so lucky because I think a lot of people go into the hospital program and then they're fighting that urge the whole time to escape to the bathroom after or whatnot. And so for me, after a week of being there, I was like, I can't come home yet. I can't. I have to stay. And as uncomfortable as it is because that refeeding is at this point, you've done such – taken such a toll on your digestive system – that you're bloated, you're uncomfortable. Ooh, I can, I can, I can actually feel when I talk about it. I can feel yeah. the sensation, and so it's hard work, physically, yeah. mentally, emotionally, but it is the best thing that you will ever do for yourself. Mm-hmm. People die from eating disorders, and it is no way to live. It is not. It. it you think you're okay, but you are so not okay in mm-hmm. that state. Yeah. I remember one of the things in my abnormal psych class that blew my mind. I'd been immersed in the treatment world for years and had so many peers that struggled with eating disorder. I struggled with disordered eating at many points. But I remember my professor said that anorexia and bulimia have the same diagnostic requirements except for your weight and except for your measurements. And I was like, no, there's no way. Because as a society, the way that we think about anorexia, the way that we think about bulimia is so very different. And the behaviors that you're engaging in, the thought process you have, and yet when you realize that they're identical, it's just that once you've reached that certain health marker or that weight level, certain steps need to be taken for physical reasons. It helps you understand how mental this is yeah. and how much you need to do emotionally and how much support is required because it's not just a behavior or something physically that you're engaging in. There's so much more there. Yes. Yes. It's such a, that's such a good point. And I find it really frustrating that I think a lot of people go undiagnosed because they are anorexic, but their body doesn't shed weight in the same way. And Mm -hmm. we know at this point that it doesn't matter what you eat or how you move, all bodies are different, right? If we all ate the exact yeah. same type of food and exercise exactly the same way, our bodies would not all look exactly the same. There's so many factors that go into the shape of your body. And so I, I do feel like we need a new system for diagnosing these things because I think that the actual rate of people struggling with eating disorders and disordered eating is probably even higher than we know. And already statistically, we know 70% of women will struggle with disordered eating at some point in their life. So disordered eating can be cyclical dieting, on and off on and off of dieting, obsessing over food, counting calories, my fitness pal, counting macros, and in a way where it feels a bit all-consuming, where it's not like, okay, I'm using my fitness pal to get a sense of where I'm even at for a few weeks and then I'm able to let it go. There's anxiety around eating. There's anxiety around body image. And 70% of women will go through that at some point in their life, which I can see some people being like, well, what's the big deal? Like they're fine. 
No, this is taking a substantial amount of our mental capacity, of our energy. It's, it is costing us money. It is a huge problem. And I, I mean, I get really fired up about it because we aren't paying enough attention to it. It's not, yeah. it's not the eating disorders, the 10%, there are some resources there, but there aren't a lot of resources for those individuals who haven't been diagnosed, but are still struggling. Yeah. And especially as you've been undiagnosed, if you don't have anyone in your support system and you're going through the motion of your routine and your day-to-day commitments and requirements and either working a job or being a student and trying to engage and maintain these relationships in your life, like you talk about the mental fatigue, the physical fatigue, you can't show up in the way you should be able to even if you haven't been diagnosed. And so it has it has a huge impact and therefore requires support and resources. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that people tell themselves that other people have it worse or it's not bad enough to require a treatment. When in fact, if it's not at that point yet, that's exactly when you should be intervening and exactly when you should be getting support because it will be more effective and you're able yeah. to nip it in the bud and continue on with your life. Exactly. I'd love to hear from you. You talked about how there were different narratives that were impacting the way you approached going to treatment or how you viewed your behavior and routines versus your sister's. Were there other misconceptions or almost like myths, beliefs that you held during that time that now you look back and you're like, that's so not true. Things that are very common when people are thinking about treatment or thinking about getting support or thinking about their own diet, exercise, health behaviors. I mean, there's so many things looking back now that I believed wholeheartedly (laughs) that just were not accurate. So some examples. First of all, I felt like going into treatment was the ultimate failure, that I had somehow failed, that I was othered. I just felt so separate is all I can say. And that's the thing with mental illness is we feel so much shame and guilt around it. Unlike a lot of other illnesses, we really point the finger at ourselves. And looking back now, I mean, even in my journey with anxiety, which has flared up more since having kids, I'm totally fine right now, but it's been, it's been wavy the last decade. When I'm in that space, when things are really hard, my, my automatic is, to blame myself. Like, oh, you pushed yourself too hard. You always do this. You always burn yourself out. Are you, you know, it's so natural to blame ourselves. And now being in a space where I feel grounded and stable again, I'm like, no, no, this is an illness. Like this is a disorder. There's a chemical difference in my brain in the same way that there's a difference in the genetics of somebody who has diabetes or a different disorder that, or illness. And I don't want to say it's out of my control, but it is somewhat. There are lots of things that I can do to support myself, but in some element, you know, I was genetically born with a nervous system that's a bit more sensitive and different dopamine and serotonin uptake ability and all that kind of stuff. The other thing is I really believed that there were good foods and bad foods back in the day. I believed that there was a certain number of calories that I could eat and that I really needed to watch those calories. I thought that fat was bad. I actually thought fat was like, oh, I was, 
I would cut out as much fat as I possibly could, which is the worst thing that you can do for yourself as your brain is developing and really at any point in your life. You know, now I'm all about olive oil and avocado and salmon and almonds and Oreo cookies, the or the latter just being for joy and pleasure. But, you know, like <laughs> I'm not, there's no fear there around these things. And so there were so many things at that time that I really believed in wholeheartedly that were absolutely false and yeah. that I had to work to let go of, alter, and shift my perspective around. I 100% agree with everything you just said there. Even when you were talking about how we are predisposed for different mental health challenges, whether you experience your emotions more intensely or you're born into a certain family dynamic, it's so interesting because you said, well, I can take steps. I can do things to improve this. And the same is true for so many physical health problems.